Welcome to episode 66 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Mike Sargent, happy Thanksgiving, brother. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Jack Rico. <laughs> I'm grateful that you are in my life. I'm grateful that we do the show together. I'm grateful for all the awesome things uh, that the future will bring. And I'm just kind of grateful that that I'm happy, I guess. <laughs> I Listen. <laughs> because I-, <laughs> I could not be happy, but I'm happy. So I just want to be thankful for that. You know, it's interesting that you say happy, and uh, and I know it's part of the topic of what we're going to talk about today, just in terms of like, you know, how, how do you get happy? How do you relax? What do you do? You know, when you give thanks, does, does it make you feel good? You know, acknowledging all the good things in your life. Uh, so I am very thankful. I'm, I have a lot of blessings in my life. And the, the thing about Thanksgiving, forget the silly things about it. To me, it does represent a, a pause to say, okay, you know, what do I have to be thankful for? And I'm very thankful for our collaborations, which they began on tape <laughs> or actually there's no more tape is there, right? So they began uh, in audio and they will expand to other things. Mm-hmm. That's right. So today, Mike, we're going to be talking about an interesting subject matter that I've been as a Latino, I've been wanting to tackle on for a while. And even though this won't be like a symposium on the subject matter, but we're going to tackle this right now, which is Hollywood's problem with accents. And uh, I'm not sure if you read that article in Vanity Fair that came out recently where the, the headline was Ridley Scott defends Lady Gaga's House of Gucci accent. So it captures your attention and you start reading and there's like a, a a moment where it goes, a dialogue coach who worked on the film said Gaga sounded more Russian than Italian, but Gucci director Ridley Scott thinks it was absolutely perfect. So this story was like the third time that I was noticing some patterns and made some connections of previous stories that I've already heard that no one's really talking about. So I was like, you know what? If you're a white person, you don't write the story. But if you're a person of color, especially one that has accents like Latinos, yeah, you see the story all day. Now, let me explain to you what the story is here. This is Ridley Scott saying that an accent that is supposed to be Italian sounds Russian. But if you remember recently, also, Aaron Sorkin was in the hot seat because Javier Bardem's casting of a Spaniard as a Cuban and trying to nail down the Cuban accent was, he had a backlash from it. And he had said, you know, uh, Spanish and Cuban are inactable. And then the first time that all of this started, was when West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, their trailer came out, and the thing that I noticed more than anybody were the -the over-the-top Latino accents in 2021. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life at home. Why is this a problem? 
It's a problem because there's prejudice behind it. There's a sense of it doesn't matter whether they sound right or wrong to a white ear. But it does matter to the people who sound like cartoons, to a whole community of people where they just represent as a cartoon like Speedy Gonzalez. And if I were to look at the recurring trend here, what do you think it is, Mike? The cartoonization of Latino accents? It's white directors that have done these transgressions. Let's begin with Ridley Scott. Oh, it doesn't matter. It sounds perfect to me. Everyone's telling you she sounds Russian in an Italian movie. I don't consider myself to be a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. Don't you think Italians would be pissed off about it? And then being the Ricardos. The fact that Sorkin isn't even open to a conversation, that he doesn't really care whether he sounds, as long as he sounds Hispanic, it doesn't matter what accent, and that is ignorance. And that's discrimination. And then we got Steven Spielberg, the grand pooba. His whole vow was, I'm going to make these Hispanic characters, these Puerto Rican characters, authentic. And then we get these over-the-top accents. Like, who talks like this? <laughs> In preparation for this, I went back and I watched... Some of West Side Story, specifically, you know, I want to live in America. America, okay? And then I watched the new trailer. And and I was like, wow, okay. So according to the movies, just like, you know, movies tell us what movies tell us about history is that back in the 50s, this is how Latinos talked. No, no, no. It, th th this is how white people. But but that's what I'm saying. That according, Latinos talk to them. According to the movies, that's how it was in movie world. This is how Latinos talk in reality. Not at all. Mike, th this is discrimination. There's supposedly new research suggests that listening to someone speaking with a foreign accent makes human brains work harder, which can lead to unintentional discrimination against people communicating in languages other than their own. So I talked to you about American supremacy. Because it's America and it's a multicultural country, there is no official language. There's no official accent. Everybody sounds like wherever they're from. But it's foreign accents. We are being cartoonized by Spielberg. Sorkin doesn't give two hoots where it sounds from. But you know, see, you're, you're touching upon something there, and I don't want you to skip over it. Because when you play to the stereotype, the stereotype that white people have of being black or Latino, if it's being a maid in Gone with the Wind, if it's being a Puerto Rican in West Side Story, they'll give you an Oscar. Okay, but 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 who are the ones voting for? Who's the majority voting for that? Well, that's my point. That's my my point so, is they will reward you for performing these 
cartoons. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. And the reason all of this shit is happening with these accents and we're being cartoonized, Mike, it's because of the white gaze. That is what's responsible here. You know that Speedy Gonzalez has almost always been voiced by a white man? Buenos dias, senora witch. What's cooking? I would like to borrow a cup of cheese. I just ran out. Mel Blanc, of course. Well, we, we know Mel Blanc, but Mel Blanc retired the Speedy Gonzalez voice in 1989. And then after that, it was Stan Freeberg who did Speedy Gonzalez. Then Greg Burson. Then Joe Alasky. Then Keith Scott. And on and on and on until the late 2000s where they finally got the first Mexican. So what does that tell you, Mike, historically about accents in this country and in Hollywood? Dude, it, l- listen, I and, and maybe we should play this segment. Uh, I heard a segment on uh, Latino USA uh, when their whole Cheetos, the hot Cheetos scandal was going on. And they went back and they did the history of the Frito Bandito. And how, what they had to do to get rid of that mascot who was never voiced by a Latino. It was, if you remember, I don't know if you remember the Frito Bandito. We'll play a clip just of what he sounded like. Hello, senor. I am the Frito Bandito. Oh, don't be afraid. I am not going to steal your Frito's corn chips. I buy them from you, okay? See, I give you silver. No silver? Okay, I give you gold. You know like gold neither? Hey, maybe you like better some lead, huh? Citizens, protect yourselves. Never buy one bag of crunchy Fritos corn chips. Always buy two and hide one for you. Who knows? There may be a Frito Bandito in your house. And so that's another example of how we have to speak up at this moment, Mike. Because if we continue for white directors to completely crucify our accents and allow them to cartoonize us, to ridicule us, to ridicule us, anybody with an accent, whether it's Italian or anywhere, but mostly Hispanic, they're going to ruin our culture. They're going to embarrass us the way they were embarrassing us at the beginning of the century of the last century. And so this is a big deal that we have to tame, Mike. We have to do this. In the case of Lady Gaga and, and, and going to be in the case of West Side Story, if Latinos are up in arms about it, I, I mean, you're upset about it. Uh, I, I, and I have friends who, you know, I won't name here, but I, I know would be upset about it. But will the Latino community uh, be up in arms about this like they did about um, In the Heights? I think overall, I have an issue with the accents. Now, if I watch the movie and the movie's brilliant, I, I, I can't hang on to the accents to then ruin the movie and mm. say, don't go mm. see it. Okay, okay. 99% of the film is amazing, incredible. It's, it's, it's truly special. But then he kind of fucked up in this little thing. Can you overlook it? At that point, you got to make a decision. 
And my decision most likely will be like, damn it, man, if they kind of got everything right and all the authentic, other authentic moments and the performances and the Latinos are characterized well and, and, and the performances are great, then man, I might have to just give in. But this isn't a Spielberg issue. This is starting to become a bigger issue. And my solution is stop white people. Stop telling Latino stories or stories that you don't know. It's done. Your time is over. Let diverse and inclusive directors do it. Well, you just said it there. Now, if it's, re- I mean, it's Steven Spielberg. So there's really a good chance that it's really well done. There's really a good chance that it's got a great story. And and I mean, the original, for all of its flaws, it still was won all kinds of Oscars and all kinds of acclaim. And let's just say a, a standard of excellence. Remember, I'm underscoring that here. Excellence in portrayal. Of, of Latinos, a standard of excellence. She won an Oscar, okay, back in the 50s. Now, 70 years later, if even you, who is upset by this continued 70, 75 years later, they're still doing this ridiculous cartoon accent, but if it's a good movie, it could go on and win Oscars, Oscar nom for this Maria. And we've rewarded once again this and set this as a bar of excellence for Latino portrayal. Even if there's an out, a, 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 a backlash, if this wins awards because it's good, then how far have we moved? Well, no, no. I mean, then, then that just means that, that, that our, that our voices don't matter. And then at some point we either have to, have to, have to attack this, in a more grave way, or we're going to have to just surrender to it, Mike. There's just no other option because this is the way we've been doing it nicely. We speak up through the press very nicely, no protests, no nothing. We're just kind of like going through the media and, and throwing some plates against the wall, trying to get some attention here. But I, I don't see any other solution, Mike. Either we surrender to it or we full court press it. Okay, because I agree with you, the only solution is, and I liken your specific issue with these accents because of a literal personal offense it is to you and your people and and the diversity of your people. You know, it's not like any Latino with a with a quote unquote Spanish accent can be any other Latino with a Spanish accent. But that's how Hollywood sees it. That's the white gaze. I particularly hated uh, how a lot of black characters were portrayed in movies from, let's just say the 90s, but definitely in the 80s when I was going to a lot of movies and a movie that really stands out to me because, again, you will cast these actors, okay, who do as good a job as they can and, and they, and they want to work. You know, I, I mean, you, you watch the documentary uh, on Rita Moreno. She said she got cast as every kind of thing but Latino with wear all kinds of weird orange makeup and everything. But she wants to work. What are you going to do? This is what the, these are the roles that are being written. Well, you know, that that's an interesting point you bring up. It's like, OK, this is how I feel. But damn it, you complicit protagonists, you complicit cast members. You knew you were talking like that. And you, you said, ha- what are you going to fuck you it because you want to work. You need to work. But they said, okay, okay, but hold on a second. Then you're a hypocrite. Well, then you're a hypocrite. Now, you see, but again, you either are a working hypocrite. Are you a hypocrite are you or a- are you not a hypocrite? If you're the cast member going, I know that I'm propagating the cliche and the stereotype of the cartoon accent by Latinos and that you're going to win an award for it, for, for, for doing that. So then, so then, so then what future 
do other stories have? If you're complicit in propagating it, you should feel a little ashamed of yourself. Well, what do you think? What do you think? Am I overreacting here? I, I think you are not overreacting, but I think you're, you're missing a perspective here. And the perspective is- Money, fame, fortune, climbing the ladder, Spielberg? No, not just climbing the ladder, Spielberg, but if you're an actor, okay, and I'm gonna use the best example is Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman came into acclaim. He was from, you know, he was an electric company, okay? That's where who Morgan Freeman was until he did a movie called Street Smart where he played a pimp and he played a great freaking pimp. Now, that is not a role when you're taking on the role of a pimp. What are you gonna say, okay? Uh, and I'm bringing this up because the example I was gonna use of what I hate, liking what yours, and because you did give the solution here, is that, yeah, Latinos need to make their own films. They need to control their own uh, images, their own portrayals. And authenticity, because obviously a white man's authenticity on us doesn't work. Now, because now you say, have you sold out? And and I'm, it's an interesting that you asked that because I went, I was looking up to pull, the example I wanted to give was this film called uh, Total Recall. And there was a black character in there. And the black character was Benny. And Benny was the one who helps... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. He's driving the cab and he was a horrifying cliche to me. He's like, oh, I got all these kids I got to take care of. And he's talking, oh, it's me, Benny. And he had all this obnoxious, terrible, terrible dialogue. And then, of course, he turns out to be a mutant and is against him. And, and I can play the clip. It's awful. And he's like, it's me. I'm going to get you, sucker. It's awful. Hey, hey, hey. You remember me? Benny. Benny's the name. <laughs> you want to you, sucker. I'm going to I'm coming. I'm coming for you, baby. Awful, cringeworthy, cringeworthy. But years later, they go back to the actor and they ask him about playing that role. And what did he say? And he was in this 30 years later, in the article, he, he says how, you know, he was proud of the work he did. And how, but when he first read the script, the description in the script written by a white man, and this was acceptable, Hollywood, 80s, big budget script, the description of Benny was black jivester. Wow. He said he threw the script on the ground. Okay, but then he eventually read it and the story was great and everything. And then he did it and he felt that the character was well-developed and blah, blah, blah. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But yeah, okay, with dialogue like what I just played to you, description in the script, black jivester, that was acceptable as a character in a science fiction film, okay? Now, I say all that to say that, that to me, that's how I liken it. And the only reason that we don't have characters written to a script called the Black Jivester is because <laughs> now black people are actually able to make their own films. And, 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 you know, clearly that changed coming into the 80s, Spike Lee, all of that. But that's what, like you said, what is the solution? Yeah. White people, stop trying to tell these stories of Latinos. Stop having them write them. And I even say this even knowing that Will Smith, for the first time, actually worked with a black director for his new film, King Richard, but the screenwriter was still white. So one of the things that most people love to do, Mike, 
during Thanksgiving holiday. And that Thanksgiving week is catch up on their movies. And there's a lot of great movies. I think this is one of the better years for quality filmmaking that I can remember. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of years that movies are mediocre, too indie, or, you know, or there's just one or two that are the real players. But this year, great performances, great writing, uh, great big productions. It's, it's wonderful. And so I thought that we should probably recommend, since we're film critics, I'm part of the Latino Entertainment Journalists Association. And I am the co-president of the Black Film Critics Circle. And so why not just activate those two qualified opinions on a particular movie that for Thanksgiving people should watch? If you had to watch one movie for Thanksgiving, something that kind of enveloped the emotional gravitas of Thanksgiving, something that feels good, like a good feel-good ending, a feel-good story, something that is contemporary as well, but today's with that plays with today's cultural dynamics and a movie that is actually worth watching because it's entertaining and inspiring. That to me is a good Thanksgiving movie and it's new. Which one would I watch? Mike, let me introduce to you King Richard. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call, said there was trouble in the house. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you all need to look around. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. Now I don't even mind you saying we hard on these kids. You know why? Because we are. That's our job, to keep them off these streets. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Okay, you're making a mistake, but I'm gonna let you make it. Watch me hit a few balls. All right. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I wrote me a 78-page plan for their whole career before they was even born. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> These girls are so great, how come I've never heard of them? They're from Compton. It's okay. They're just not used to seeing good-looking peoples like us. She's nervous. Take a step up. Maybe she ought to take a few more steps up. Just get someplace safe. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next, too. What's the next step? You got to take. You're not gonna just be representing you. You're gonna be representing every little black girl on earth. They're not gonna let you doubt. How could you? This world ain't never had no respect for Richard Williams, but they're gonna respect y'all. You walk out there with your head up. You are a champion, and the whole world knows. The most dangerous creature on this whole earth. It's a woman who know how to think. Yes, Daddy. Ain't nothing she can't do. You want to show them how dangerous you are? Venus and Serena going to shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? 
Hey, Daddy. Serena Williams, who is your best friend? Venus. Then you. Then you. After Venus. Mike, what do you think? What's your selection? Yeah, I, I agree with you. King Richard is uh, not only a feel-good movie, but I think it's a movie that, you know, whether you are a parent or not, whether you are male or female, I think you will appreciate and, and be inspired by the, the level of commitment and perseverance against adversity that Richard Williams went through. I, I found it very, very, very uh, powerful. For those people that don't know King Richard, why don't you tell them a little bit about the premise, what it's about, and what makes it special? King Richard is basically the story of Richard Williams, who is the, among other things, is the father of both Venus and Serena Williams. And the thing about King Richard, uh, or the thing about Richard Williams, is that from the time, actually prior to them even being born, he had a 78-page plan of how he was going to turn them into the superstars they are. He specifically knew he wanted to raise two tennis superstars. Now, that would be interesting and wild in itself, but consider the fact that he was uh, basically a security guard, black man, security guard, living in Compton with three other daughters and, and a wife, all living in a house in an area that was infested with gangs and drugs and every negative thing you could imagine about living in a poor black community in Los Angeles. Yet, he was able to overcome all of that and fulfill the dream he had for his daughters, both of them. It's it's it literally if you saw this in a movie and that wasn't based on a true story, you wouldn't believe it. I love the storyline about and, and it's really the storyline of all of us where our parents will do anything to give their children a better life, a life that they never had. And I think that that ultimately is the objective with, with, with anybody who ever has a child. It's whatever I achieved, I want you to achieve more. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous if you're Jeff Bezos. What makes this story so special is that he created probably two of the most legendary, if not the best one and two combo of the tennis sports industry. It's unbelievable. The things that he had to overcome to get these girls to be where they are. As as a parent myself, you know what you what you hope is that you, and and it's, you you touch upon something I think that that the film touches upon, which is what makes it stand out in many ways. Because in many ways, it's kind of a traditional biopic, but it seems fresh and new because of a lot of the elements of the story and Will Smith's performance. But what really, uh, as a parent. You, you know, you hope that you can instill virtues and, and skills uh, for your kids so that they can succeed in life. He did not just want them to succeed. He wanted them to excel. He wanted them to be the greatest on the planet. And that's a pretty high expectation. How do you plan yeah, for that's that? That's what I'm saying. This is where Will Smith's performance really comes into high gear. And I think we should really start talking about Will Smith entering the conversation about Academy nomination for Best Actor. And what would that mean for Will Smith's career after essentially being ousted, outcast almost, from the Hollywood acting industry? Well, I don't know if he was really outcast. I just think he had a string of, of mediocre 
uh, films that didn't do too much business considering, you know, when you set the bar that high, when you, you, you start making the most money making films in the world and you're a huge, huge box office star, you can weather a bomb here and there, but then you make a string of them. Next thing you know, you're Eddie Murphy, but America loves a comeback. So I think that this, the fact that he released his autobiography and this film at the same time, I think is a one, two punch that will put Will back on top again. That That's my prediction. But the thing you you mentioned also that this film touches upon that I thought was important is this the the danger of wanting a lot for your kids to the point where yeah do you want that for your kids or do you want that for you you know are are you holding them back now or are you really per- advancing them and I think that that's something that they address here and I think it's important and it was very powerful I thought it was very powerful it. when they address it and and the other thing they address here which is why I can see this script was you know I don't know if you know there's this sort of uh the best produced, uh, best unproduced scripts every year. They call it the blacklist. The blacklist. Yeah, this was on the blacklist for a couple of years, uh, this script. And I can see why, because the other thing they do here, besides, I feel like it was culturally authentic, like we talked about earlier, and I thought some of the dialogue was really, really good. But the the female character, specifically the mother, uh, Mrs. Williams, uh, like her scenes and the things, the way she had to check her husband, I thought that was particularly good, well-written. It's powerful. It's a powerful scene that then sends you into a great third act. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and and this is why I recommend, if you had to see one Thanksgiving movie this year that's new and fresh and something out of the cornucopia of films that are out there, catch this one. King Richard. Excellent. I heartily concur. <laughs> Well, Mike, I think we pretty much covered Thanksgiving. <laughs> I think so. I think so. And, and if you're hearing this after Thanksgiving, I hope you had a good one. Yeah. And before we go, uh, Mike, I was wondering, can you just pour a little bit of that nice, uh, what is it, Bordeaux 2012 oh, that you oh, have yes. there? Yes. Uh, right there. Let, yeah, it just a little bit Let it breathe first. Okay, hold on. Oh, man. It smells good. I'm not a wine drinker, but man, this one I'm taking... I'm going to start the video camera just to catch some Jack on in Jack having wine. (laughs) Please pass the mashed potatoes if you don't mind. Oh, delicious, man. Thanks for bringing these. Here's the apple pie, I promise. All right, right, folks, and that's it for episode 66 of The Brown and Black. If you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado, who's having himself also a great Thanksgiving. You can follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your no excuses business partner. <laughs> 
You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert. So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our store up and running. Another sale. Shopify is a commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. No matter if you are a garage entrepreneur or a big business, Shopify is the only tool you need to start and grow your business without the struggle. With Shopify single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere, giving you the insights you need wherever you are. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash sonoro or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash sonoro to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash sonoro. 